My name is Matt Abrahams. I am a lecturer at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, where I teach strategic communication. Are we getting better in this, or are we getting worse? We are also, I think, struggling a bit to figure out how uh, to do it in a world that is constantly bombarding us with information. It can be very challenging to make our message heard above all of the other messages out there. Whenever you communicate, you need to think about your audience. Whenever we communicate, we should have a goal. And there are three steps, information, emotion, and action. What do I want my audience to know? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? When you are interviewing for a job or trying to change positions, you have to package your information up in a meaningful way with good detail so the person you're speaking to can turn around and articulate what you've told them to whoever else they need to get involved in making the decision. We often judge what we say versus what we plan to say or wanted to say. So we actually have more information than the audience does. The audience only hears what we say. So we might feel like, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't say it that way, or I didn't include this information. But from the audience's perspective, they don't know. They don't know anything different. So to highlight the mistake actually makes it a bigger deal than it, than it is. Many people feel like you're either born with it or you're not. You're either a great communicator or you're not. And I am here to tell you that everybody can get better at their communication. So first of all, I'm so excited that you're here, Matt, and I'm looking forward for this discussion. And um, I will um, note down everything you're saying in a, in a long list of advice and tips. First things first, tell us, tell us something about you that will set the scene for all the listeners or people that watch our podcast. Well, I'm somebody who's passionate about communication. I have always been passionate about communication. I can trace it back to when I was a young boy, really interested in how people communicated. In fact, uh, when I was about eight years old, my mother decided to have a garage sale where we take stuff from our house and we put it in our front yard and invite people to come by and buy it. And where I grew up, this happened all the time. And my mother made it very clear that she wanted my brother and me to misspell the word garage. And if you put a B in the middle of garage, you get the word garbage. So while all of our neighbors were having a garage sale, we were having a garbage sale. And it turns out we did better than anybody else that weekend. And my mother's convinced it's because we misspelled the name. I think it's because people thought we were stupid and they'd get better deals. But it is from that early age that I began to see how language and communication can influence people. And that's really uh, what got me interested over the years is just really observing and noticing the importance of communication, how confident communication made a big difference at work and in school. And that's what I've dedicated my career to studying. Great. And um, when you look at your career, you transitioned from um, being um, director at a software company and then you transitioned to academia and to coaching. How did you do these transitions? Why? And uh, what helped you to, to do these changes? Yeah. So when I came out of graduate school, I had some student loans and I needed some money to pay them back. Uh, and I was curious to see how what I had studied in, in graduate school played out in the work world. So I worked in high tech for a little over a decade. I started as a corporate trainer teaching people how to use technology. I ended up running 
training organizations and learning and development organizations. So everything I've always done has been around teaching. Uh, it became very clear to me in that in those roles that communication really made a difference in people's lives and careers. Some of the best and brightest people who had wonderful ideas for the company were really passionate about what they did could not communicate their ideas as effectively as those who were less effective sometimes. And so that really drew me back to the work I had done in academics on applied communication. And when the opportunity came up uh, to leave, I went and taught high school for two years. Uh, from there, I, I slowly graduated. I, I taught at a community college and then, then at Stanford and, and now at Stanford's Graduate School of Business. So I've seen the education world, at least here in the United States, uh, all the way from high school through grad school. And I love teaching and I love helping equip people with the communication skills that they need. And, and so it was really my passion for communication and my love of teaching that led me to make the switch and has kept me motivated for all these years. Talking about communication in today's world, what is effective communication? We have so many channels, we have so much of information. It's a lot of noise. So what is effective communication, according to you? Uh, so effective communication is simply getting your point across in the way that you want and making sure that others can receive it in a clear way. So communication to me is all about making sure that your information, your thoughts, your feelings, your beliefs are communicated clearly so that somebody else can understand them. You know, the definition of communication boils down to the root of commonality. It, it means to make common. So communication has built into it this notion of collaboration and connection. And that to me is what makes for effective communication. And uh, are we getting better in this or are we getting worse? What do you think? That, 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 is a really, um, that is a really hard question to answer. Um, it is something that it, I think in many ways we're getting better and that we have new tools and avenues to make that communication more effective. Uh, we are also, I think, struggling a bit to figure out how uh, to do it in a world that is constantly bombarding us with information. It can be very challenging to make our message heard above all of the other messages out there. So, you know, net-net, I'm not sure that we're doing any better, nor am I sure we're doing it more poorly. I think we have lots of opportunities to improve the way we communicate with the technology we have, with the global understanding of the importance of communication. I think if the pandemic taught us anything, it taught us that communication is really, really important. So it's hard for me to answer that question. I think the, the answer is there, there are things that have improved and there are things that have gotten worse. Well, that's a very good balanced answer. I'll take it. <laughs> um, when, we, when we talk about you know, speaking in front of people, public speaking, let's call it. Is that um, more psychological or is this skill-based? So is it, am I born able to speak in front of people or can I learn it? That is a really powerful question. Uh, and the answer is absolutely. We can learn to be better at communication. I have seen it in my own life. I've seen it in all the people I've taught and coached. It is a, a skill that we can get better at. Now, for some of us, we have to work a little harder at it than others. Uh, I, I look at learning communication skills like ascending a mountain. 
we're trying to all achieve much better communication at the top, but each of us is a different place on the mountain and we can all move up as we work on it. To get better at communication, you have to do three things. And these are the same three things if you're learning any other skill, like a sport, a musical instrument. It's all about repetition, reflection, and feedback. You have to practice. And you have to put yourself in situations where you can practice. That's why I think classes, Toastmasters, all of these are great opportunities to help us get more comfortable in our repetition. We then have to reflect. We have to think, am I getting better? What could I do differently? What's working? What's not working? You know there's that definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's how many of us communicate. We don't take time to reflect. We just keep doing the same thing. So we need to reflect. And then finally, this will not surprise you, as, as a teacher, a podcast host, an author, I think getting feedback from others is critical. We are not the best judges of our own communication. We need to make sure that we get input and insight from other people. So yes, you can absolutely get better at communication. It takes work. It is not something that's like a light switch where all of a sudden you're much better at it after you just do a little work. But ultimately, over time, you can get better. All right. So speaking about feedback and positive feedback is very easy to take. You, you feel happy and you think you're the best in the world ever, but negative and criticism, that, that's very, very tough to, to take. Mm -hmm. So how do we build resilience and how do we uh, get accustomed to the, to the negative comments and fend them off? <laughs> well, so I, I think, uh, I would, re, I would rephrase uh, what's behind your question. I think constructive feedback is actually very helpful. I think we can learn a lot from it. So I don't know that we want to fend it off. I think we need to put it into perspective. So, you know, I believe that feedback is a gift and it's something that can actually help us. And so when somebody presents me with some feedback, I first have to acknowledge that I understand what they've said. It doesn't mean I agree with it, but I should acknowledge it. So I like paraphrasing. I, I, you, might, you might say, for example, I speak too quickly or I use my hands too much. And you might give me that feedback. And I might say, so I'm hearing that you perceive that when I speak, I speak quickly and use my hands a lot. Thank you for giving me that input. I haven't agreed. All I've done is said, I heard you. You've taken the time to go out of your way to give me what you believe is useful information to help me improve, I should at least acknowledge it. Now I need to think about it and process it and understand how what you're saying might be uh, true. You have insight that I do not have. I, I think I know how I come across, but I'm not sure. So your insight is, is another piece of input I need to consider. So I think there's a mindset and attitude change that has to happen with, with feedback uh, that, that's important. Then we get to decide if it really is true. And if it is, we get to think about how best to, to manage that. So uh, I do think we should be very open to feedback, as, uh, be it uh, constructive or, or praise. All right. So let's take the same situation uh, that you said. And um, we have, um, I'm presenting and somebody says something that is negative. Mm -hmm. So how in this uh, high pressure situation, I... I am not happy about this. Um, and I go ahead and say, okay, repeat what, or par paraphrase what the, the person said, but still I am now very flustered and I'm worried and I don't know what to answer because I want to answer something really smart. So it shows that um, 
um, I'm winning. So how do I do that? How do you respond with something that's really smart uh, after somebody's given you negative feedback? Yes. Yeah. So, so one, you have to make sure you ground yourself because it, sometimes it can be very emotional. When somebody asks a, a challenging question, we can get quite emotional. Uh, so remind yourself that, again, this is just one person's perspective. This is feedback. So, so you can stay grounded without saying, oh, what do you mean? I don't gesture with my hands too much. Right. And, and what I like to do is I, first I start with gratitude. Thank you for your, your input. Uh, I am somebody who's always looking to improve, which is true. Uh, and what I think I'll do with the information you gave me is as I prepare for my future communication, I'll take extra time to look at my gestures and think about how quickly I speak. I really appreciate that. I, again, haven't agreed. I said I would consider it. I'd look at it. So again, I am trying to acknowledge that this is something somebody is offering me and to demonstrate that I'm really going to think about it. I think that's the most logical and appropriate approach. Now, I might turn around and really think, oh, I don't think that's right. I'll just put that, file that away. But I might also notice that I do that, at least in some situations. And that might be very interesting information for me. So I would respond with gratitude and explain what I intend to do next. So three things, right? The first thing is um, paraphrase. Yes. And uh, show that you've heard the person. Second is express gratitude. Mm -hmm. And then answer in a positive way. So the person understands that you accepted it and uh, you move on. So these are the three steps. It sounds very easy, but actually in reality is not. No, most Especially communication sounds easy, but isn't. Yeah. Especially if you're in executive settings and, you know, people wait for you to to slip and say something that shouldn't be said. All right. So um, do you think um, extroverts and introverts have a different approach and a different um, emotional connection with speaking in public? Is it that introverts can't speak well in public and extroverts always speak well in public? Or is this a, just a myth? Uh, I do believe it's a myth. I do believe it's a myth. So extroversion and introversion, while related in some ways to comfort and confidence in speaking in public, they are not directly tied to it. Introverts can be incredibly insightful and articulate when they communicate. Uh, extroverts can be blathering and, and incoherent. So, so it's, not, uh, it's not a given that if you're extroverted, you'll be good at speaking in front of others, nor if you're an introvert, will you be bad at speaking. It has to do with comfort and it has to do with quality of thought before and during speaking. Introverts have a tendency to be very reflective and really connecting of ideas. Extroverts tend to talk before they think or, or assert their opinions very quickly. And both are needed to be successful in any endeavor. Uh, if you have a group of people who are all just always moving forward and talking over each other, that's not really very productive. Similarly, if you have a group of people who are all reflecting and, and just trying to connect ideas, you might not get things moving forward fast enough. So a, a, a good, effective organization blends different roles and different characteristics. So I work with lots of people who self-identify as introverts, and they are amazingly valuable and important in organizations. So 
Uh, I don't think it's always the, that way. I think sometimes introverts can have a hard time in some communication situations, like in the midst of a meeting, getting their point of view out because they're thinking, and then they might have missed the opportunity to bring up that point. And there are things you can do. So I coach introverts to uh, find ways to wedge their comments into a meeting. You've mentioned paraphrasing. Paraphrasing is a great way. So if the conversation's going, I finally figure out what I want to say, I just highlight something somebody else has said and attach my point of view to it. So I might say, cost. Oh, cost is really important. In fact, I've been thinking about how much we paid for that last thing. So all of a sudden, I, I get myself into the conversation through paraphrasing and add my comments. So. Um, there is a difference between being introverted and being anxious and nervous about communication. And those two are distinct. There are extroverts who are highly anxious and there are introverts who are very confident. You gave a tip for introverts of how they should, you know, when they finally know what they're going to say, they kind of paraphrase and after that say their thought. Um, but what about, give me one tip for extroverts. Uh, so extroverts, I think, need to listen and paraphrase. So paraphrasing works on both sides of the equation. So before I assert my point of view into a conversation, I should paraphrase what I heard others say. That slows me down, it connects ideas together, and it gives opportunities for others who are listening to me to correct or adjust what I've said. So introverts need to find a way to insert into conversation, which can be done through paraphrasing, asking questions, stating emotions. There are lots of things they can do. And extroverts, need to slow down and connect what they're saying to others. And that's where paraphrasing can help them do that. Okay. Um, another concept of storytelling. Storytelling is very powerful because yes. people connect with stories instead of numbers and other financial and other um, KPIs. But how do you think of a story to, to connect with a boring financial report i mean what what how do you think about it what are the tips how can people who who haven't done this before they haven't been good in telling stories how they can start what are the first several things they should do so first whenever you communicate you need to think about your audience so if i'm communicating boring financial data or exciting strategy I need to think about the needs of my audience. What will resonate most with them? What do they know? What motivates them? All of those are things I think about in advance. And once I have those in mind, I have to think about my goal. Whenever we communicate, we should have a goal. And there are three steps, information, emotion, and action. What do I want my audience to know? How do I want them to feel? And what do I want them to do? Once I know my audience and have my goal, I then begin thinking about what are the best ways to communicate that information. Sometimes telling a story, using data, using testimonials are excellent ways to support the information you're getting across. Creating a story around data can be very useful. So let's imagine I'm uh, reporting financial results that talk about how we've increased our spend in a certain area. And in fact, it's had a benefit several months later on the quality of the product we're releasing. I could say that. I can show numbers that support that. But I could tell a story. I could say, remember uh, three months ago, the number of complaints we were hearing from company X We heard 30 complaints from them in a three-month period. Since the investment we put in, we now see less. 
So for example, just the other day, we only had two concerns or complaints about the very same product. And in fact, one of our clients wrote us and said, the quality of the product makes it so much easier to do to work now. I've just told a whole story around those numbers that emphasize and support the notion of the, of the spend that we did. So again, you have to start by thinking about what's relevant and important to your audience, what motivates them, what knowledge do they have, and then have a goal. And based on that goal, you then craft support for the ideas that you're trying to make, and stories are, are one type of that support. Mm, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, so it was so quick. You already thought of a story and uh, weaved it in um, a presentation. Excellent. Well, yeah, I've done <laughs> so, this for a while. Yeah, yeah, I've done this for a while. <laughs> My next question is about each of us trying to put our point forward and um, how do we make it in all this noise? There's so many people, everybody is shouting from different, I mean, shouting metaphorically said, said. how do we make sure that that we communicate our point properly and people would be interested and they would want to hear us. What do we have to do? What is the approach? So again, it comes back to relevance and your understanding of the audience. If you want them to really hear your point, be motivated by your point, you really have to know what resonates with them. You then have to package up your information in a structure, a logical connection of ideas that articulates clearly your information. So I can give you lots of reasons that you should do something, but if, they, if your experience of those reasons is random and not useful, then it can be uh, very daunting and, and not very focused for you. So I actually have to think about what's important for you, how can I connect to those points of relevance and then package the information up in a way that's very meaningful. Let me give you an example of a package. Uh, there's a very common structure, problem, solution, benefit. I explain a problem that relates to you so you understand it. I then provide a solution that remedies that problem and then I explain how you benefit. So let's imagine you are a support representative, a, client, a customer services person in an organization and I want you to adopt my new technology. I might say, do you know, I'm sure you all know how hard it is to manage all the different cases that come in on a given day. I have a tool that allows you to prioritize automatically using artificial intelligence to help you determine which of these are the most important and to find any links among them. In doing so, it makes your life easier by ordering them and giving you insight into how you could solve multiple cases at once. I made something there motivational for you, something that's relevant, something that's important, much more likely that you'll pay attention to it than if I just said, I have a tool that does this, that, this, that, this, that. That doesn't help. Features and functions is not the way to help get people inspired. Connecting it to them and making it relevant through story makes a big, big difference. Okay, so that's uh, the same like uh, when you create products that sell, uh, solve real issues, people want to buy them. Yeah. The same with, uh, right, the same with um, talking. You have to address some issue that the, the people have. Um, and if you are solving, solving it, yeah, that's it. All right, let's talk about, about your book. About your book, 
why did you write it? What was the inspiration behind it? Uh, I wrote the book primarily because many people struggle with in the moment speaking. When you think about it, most of our communication is spontaneous. It's not planned. It's not the presentation. It's not the pitch or the meeting that you've planned out. It happens in the moment. Somebody asks a question. Somebody asks for feedback. You have to introduce somebody on the spot. These are all challenges that we face. And there really is no formal education around that. If people get any information around um, how to best communicate, it's always in a planned setting. And that's why I wrote the book, to help people with that. Let's start then with um, several concepts that you explain in the book. And the first one I wanted to ask you about, when, you, when you're in front of people, uh, you start getting flustered and worried and um, you either talk very fast or you slow down, you forget things. How do you tackle this anxiety? What are the three steps I have to do to tackle the anxiety? <laughs> So uh, th th there are many, many things you can do to address anxiety. And first we have to realize right. that anxiety looms large. Anxiety is prevalent in all of our communication. Most people, like upwards of 85% of people, report being nervous when they have to speak in high stakes situations. So the first thing we have to realize is that it is normal and natural to be nervous. Many of us feel like we're the only ones who get nervous. That is not true. It is the very rare individual who does not get nervous. So what do we do? Well, we have to manage both symptoms and sources. Symptoms are what we physiologically experience and sources are the things that initiate. I'm curious, what happens to you physically when you get nervous? I turn red and I sweat, I perspire. What happens for you? I, um, in the first two minutes of when I get on the stage, I, I, I can't take a normal breath. I'm just breathless. And and then sometimes, you know, the end of my sentences become very weak and I do an upward kind of trajectory. And, ah, da, da, da. and uh, but that's in the first two minutes. And if you ask me, what do I do to overtake? I have no clue. I, I don't know. I just after that, things become OK. But that's what happens. So I guess that overtaking this is um, taking deep breaths, but that requires thinking. So I have to think I'm in front of the people and I feel this and I start thinking, oh, now I have to take deep breaths and I forget to do that. So, Right. So, so breathing, is a, breathing, uh, breathing issues are a huge challenge for many people in speaking. What happens is we breathe shallow. So we start speaking very quickly or we get quiet at the end of our sentences. There's a, there are a lot of things that happen that impact our breath. So the best thing to do is to take a deep, slow belly breath. Like if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi, taking that deep, slow breath and make sure the exhalation is twice as long as the inhale. It is in the exhale that all of the good things happen. So deep breathing is a great way to start managing anxiety. Another way to manage anxiety is to remind yourself that it's not about you, it's about your audience. So to put your focus on what the value you're bringing to your audience. Instead of shining that spotlight on you, shine it on them. When we remind ourselves that the reason we are speaking in front of people is we have value to bring. There's something of value that we have to give to our audience. It really helps. It can really help. So I encourage everybody who's nervous about 
uh, speaking, to take deep breaths, to see themselves uh, being valuable to their, to their audience. And when it comes to sources, the sources are the things that initiate and exacerbate anxiety. A great thing to do is to get present oriented, be in the moment. What often makes us nervous is we're afraid of a potential failure in the future. They don't understand me. I don't achieve my goal. So if our fear is coming from the future, we have to get present oriented. And there are lots of ways to do that. You can do something physical, walk around the building, shake out your body. You can listen to a song or a playlist. There are lots of things you can do to get present oriented. So you asked for three, deep breathing, remind yourself you're in service of your audience, and then finally, uh, do something to get present oriented. If you do those three things, you'll be better off. Going to your book, and I have here uh, something that you're saying that we have to structure our spontaneity. And and that doesn't sound right to me because to be spontaneous, there is no structure to it. That's why it is spontaneous. So what do you mean with structuring our spontaneity? Right. So it does sound counterintuitive, doesn't it? So we can prepare to be spontaneous, uh, just like an athlete practices drills and situations so that when they're in the game, they can respond in an agile, spontaneous way. We can do the same. Structure is simply a logical connection of ideas. Think of it as a recipe. And if you want to cook a good meal, you might use a recipe. So having that recipe known to you, to practice it, to be familiar with it, it allows you to cook more efficiently. So there are many different types of structures that we can practice. I shared one already, what, so what, now what. There are many others, comparison, contrast, conclusion, for example, past, present, future. These are all structures or ways of packaging information. And the more you practice them, the easier it becomes. In my, for my students, my Stanford MBA students, when I teach them this point that you've just asked about, I will stop and I will say, give me a topic. And they'll create some random topic, one I do not know. I will take 15 seconds at the most and then give them a five-minute presentation on that topic. And many of them think, wow, that's magic. How did you do that? It was nothing difficult. Why? I had a, I had a recipe. All I had to do is think about which are the specific ingredients I want to put into it. So if you ask me to sell some product, I know I'm going to sell it pro uh, problem, solution, benefit. I just think I have to think about how do I articulate the problem. And once I do that, the rest becomes easy. So it's not a challenge. It's not a problem at all. You just leverage structure. Okay. Well, I have to try this. Um, I'm definitely going to look, uh, read your book in details. I haven't yet finished it. Okay, well, thank you for But having it in the first place. No problem. Um, it's very topical and it's really interesting. Um, let me ask you a question connected with change and career change. And how do people who are changing careers and uh, they want to present themselves in the best possible light in front of um, investor or in front of um, a hiring manager. What is the, how to structure the perfect pitch? What do we have to do? That's the one million yes, dollar yes. question, So right? again, it comes down to what you know about your audience and what you know about the role that you're trying to apply for. So 
you have to think about what's important to the company. What do they need? And you do that by doing a reconnaissance, reflection, and feedback. You have to actually look into the company. What's important for them? What are the things that you can do to help um, make sure that you're targeting their needs? So you have to start there. You have to bring relevant examples in what you're saying. So I can say I'm a very diligent worker and a good problem solver, but everybody can say that. So instead of telling, you have to show. You can say, in my previous role, I found a, an accounting error that actually, when fixed, was able to save our company over $2 million. That's showing that you're dedicated and a good problem solver rather than just speaking it. So again, it starts with your audience and then you have to think of good examples that are memorable. When you are interviewing for a job or trying to change positions, you have to package your information up in a meaningful way with good detail so the person you're speaking to can turn around and articulate what you've told them to whoever else they need to get involved in making the decision. Most often, we do not interview with the one person who makes the decision. There's a whole team. And you need to equip those team members with what they need to say to represent you to get you the goal you're trying to achieve. Right. So you have to do a lot of research and you have to know your details so you can impress people. There is no escaping this. That's correct. The other question is on if you, if we make a mistake, um, if we forget. So I make a mistake during presentation. I forget. People start laughing. How do I recover? Yeah. So, so making a mistake can be challenging. Uh, I often encourage people not to actually call out or highlight the mistake unless it's something that really needs to be corrected or unless it's something that was so obvious you have to, to share it. You know, we, we often judge what we say versus what we plan to say or wanted to say. So we actually have more information than the audience does. The audience only hears what we say. So we might feel like, oh, I made a mistake. I didn't say it that way, or I didn't include this information. But from the audience's perspective, they don't know. They don't know anything different. So to highlight the mistake actually makes it a bigger deal than it, than it is. Now, there are some mistakes that are clearly mistakes. I call somebody the wrong name. Uh, my, my demonstration doesn't work, or it doesn't do what I said it was going to do. In those cases, you need to have a recovery plan. And the recovery plan might be just saying, I'm sorry, the product didn't perform the way I was expecting. I'm going to look into that and I look forward to coming back to you, showing you the demonstration as I had intended. So remaining calm, acknowledging what everybody saw or heard, and then explaining what you will do next with it. You know, saying, oh, I made a mistake. I can't believe this product didn't work. This sucks, right? I mean, that's not the right approach. Just stay calm, call out what just happened, and then explain how you're going to remedy it. If you do all of those things, I think you'll be in a much better place. These are great tips. Thank you so much. Yeah. We're towards the end of the podcast. It was a fascinating discussion, very interesting. My last question would be, if there is one message you want people to to take um, and walk away after this podcast is, and after reading your book, what is it? What is that one message we should remember? So I think it is absolutely critical that everybody understands that communication is important and that you can get better at it, be it planned or spontaneous. Many people feel like you're either born with it or you're not. You're either a great communicator or you're not. And I am here to tell you that 
everybody can get better at their communication. And I'd love people to take away from all of my work, not only that they can get better at it, but it is in their best interest to do so and that they can do so by seeking help from others. That's the key takeaway I'd like people to have. Thank you. This this was really great and great ending. Oh, well, thank you very you. much, Matt. Um, all the best with the book. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. This has been a true pleasure. Thank you. This is all for today. Thank you for being with me till the end. And before you go, I have a huge favor to ask. Would you please subscribe or leave a message and send us any comments and recommendations? The more we hear from you, the better this podcast will be. Thank you for now and see you in the next episode.